This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. I just feel like we need to create more momentum. We had some big moments there, some big saves, and didn't really build on it. We kind of, I wouldn't say flat, but I mean, we just didn't, we didn't play like ourselves. I mean, we had to learn from that, and I mean, as a road trip, you want to end with a, with a win there and, and go back, and we have some tough games coming up, so I mean, we got better. I think we just got to get back to playing our game, you know, kind of sticking to our structure for full 60 minutes from, from first puck drop to the, you know, last seconds of the game, just kind of playing our, our game no matter what uh, the team throws at us. So, but, uh, you know, we have uh, such high belief in this in this room, so we just got to kind of get back to work with a good practice on uh, Monday and get back at it uh, for a strong game. If we can win five, lose two, win five, lose two, I'll take that all day. That'll get us home ice. It's just frustrating. You go on a a five-game trip out west, a bunch of different time zones. You start out 3-0, and and to drop these games, especially, you know, we had a tie game going in the third against Edmonton. We had a 2-1 lead in this one, even though we probably didn't deserve it. And then to drop them both without getting any points, that's probably not kind of our style. Disappointing on that end. So we got three uh, tough teams uh, coming in now before we got a break, and fortunately they're at home, and hopefully we can do something with them. Yeah, they've been good at home. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. They were pretty good on this road trip. I think how it ended was a little disappointing. We're going to get into that here on the show at Bolts Radio. I am Greg Lanelli, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick's our producer. It's going to be a fun one tomorrow at Amelie Arena. Tickets still available. Check it out. Steven Stamkos will be honored before the game. That'll be a lot of fun. Glad yeah. we're going to be there for that. No Pat Maroon today at uh, practice, and we'll get into his uh, injury and what that means for the team. And, no Rudy uh, Balsers either. No Rudy Balsers. So technically, he can stay in his conditioning stint. I heard you and Eric in the last call, a rerun, because we were in the air when you guys were actually doing the last call. We were talking. Close, yes, to, yes. close to getting in the air. Okay. But Eric okay. is right that a conditioning assignment can last up to two weeks. And Eric said then, if they wanted to, they could hold Balsers for another week because the Lightning don't play next week. They have their own bye week. But the Crunch are off now. The Crunch are done for a week. So unless it's just cap maneuvering, I don't see any reason why Balsers would stay down there. I don't even know if they're practicing, honestly. I mean, they may just tell the players, see in a week, unless you're going to the All-Star game, the AHL All-Star game. But the last game was Saturday night, and now here we are on Monday, right? And, I mean, we'll probably get an update on Balsers. But the logical replacement for Maroon, if Maroon is not going to be able to, to play in the short term, would be Balsers. Or they go eleven and seven. Sorry, I kind of jumped right in there. No, that's fine. Right, but we're getting this news, and Perbix is is playing with Sergachev, so that's a good sign that Perbix is going to be back after missing the last four games on the trip. And we do we don't have to worry about Rudy participating in the AHL All Star game. So he correct. Yeah, get him up well, here. His stats. He played in four games, so he got his yeah, four yeah, games yeah, in over what, like six days, seven days. Is it enough Monday, to shake the Wednesday, rust? Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. I think so. Yeah, he had know. an assist. He, you know, they always say, as you know, was plus two. A little different AHL NHL, so that may take yeah. a little bit more of an adjustment. But uh, bottom line is, get those legs going, and let's see. Let's see him up here sooner rather than later. And I think that's going to happen, hopefully pretty soon. And 
now the evaluation process can really begin. You know, I, I think it's fair to to throw it out there and say, okay, how many games do you have to evaluate what Rudy Balsers can provide before you decide if and when you want to make a, a move at or before the trade deadline, which is approaching. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we will get into. I, I want to let's start with this partner, the overall road trip, and then we can kind of get into the last game and, you know, even, you know, what we saw the last couple of games on the road trip that ended with with L's. There is always perspective in any situation you analyze. I think it's it's good to do that because going three and two on a road trip where maybe on the road you haven't had as much success as you have on home ice, you would look at that and collectively say that's a pretty good job. We would take that most on most occasions, as John Cooper alluded to. Yes. But you also know that you started that road trip at 3-0, and and it could have been a fantastic road trip. I tend to take the former view because I, I think for me to be completely disappointed on what happened with the last two games on that road trip and have it really affect how I viewed the five-game road trip in total probably would have had more to do with if Tampa Bay was fighting for a playoff spot. So, for example, partner, if they were the ninth seed or the tenth seed or they found themselves, you know, in fourth place in the Atlantic Division and maybe points were a bit more of a premium, I probably would have looked at this road trip the last two games and said, you know what, those are those are games you need to get. Because you're playing with house money, but you need those points because you're in a battle to get into the playoffs. And I understand nothing has been clinched yet, and and certainly you don't want to take anything for granted. But I, I tend to look at it, you know, where are the lightning in the standings? Uh, they're still, I think, comfortably in that third spot, knocking on the door for the second overall spot. And while I don't think seeding is incredibly important for Tampa Bay, I do think if they were on the outside looking in when it comes to the top eight, if that were to be the case, I think I would have looked at a missed opportunity to get more points that they probably needed a bit more uh, compared to right now uh, where they are in the standing. So I don't know if you differ slightly or if you have some thoughts, but I think it's one of those things when you take a look at the big picture, I think that's probably how I would tend to view it. I'm in your camp. So, yes, taking a step back, not a full step. Let's take a half step back. <laughs> if you start a five-game trip 3-0 and and in the last two games you don't get any points, you might feel that you left some points on the table and maybe it could have been an incredibly productive trip. Instead, it was just a productive trip. The Lightning came back with more points than games. But I think that... So if we take a full step back, they did come home with more points than games. And that was the goal, and they met the goal. Now they need to consolidate what was a productive trip with a really strong finish to the month here with three home games against three quality opponents. All three opponents are currently in playoff positioning, and the middle opponent is running away with the Lee Standings race, the Bruins, who have still only lost nine games all year. This is not going to be an easy homestand in terms of the caliber of the opposition. 
But I look at it this way, Greg, now that we're through it. I said after the Lightning lost to Edmonton that if you were to look at the five games and pick which game might be the toughest, it would be the Edmonton game based on the scheduling. Second half of a back-to-back, you're losing an hour, rested opponent, good team, and that was the game the Lightning lost. I think if you were to ask me before the trip started, what would be the second hardest game? Acknowledging that they have struggled over the years in St. Louis and Seattle is having a terrific season. St. Louis is kind of scuffling this year, even though I don't think they've lost a game since they, they played the lightning, but they've had trouble this year figuring stuff out. And we talked about the schedule for Seattle. Seattle had that tough home game back after a long road trip and the lightning, I thought were able to take advantage of that. So, Based on that, and that Vancouver has had a lot of problems this year, I would probably have said the Calgary game. Yeah. And we knew going into this trip that this was not going to be an easy travel trip. Five games over eight days in three different time zones. And I think you mentioned, Greg, all different starting times, too. Like yeah. the two afternoon games were nice in terms of like getting to your next destination at a reasonable hour, and the Lightning got home right around midnight. After the the game on Saturday afternoon, which is that's not often when you're coming back from Calgary after a game to get home technically the same day. Usually that doesn't happen. Usually you spend the night and then and then spend the whole next day traveling. So that part of it, it was an advantage, I think, to have the afternoon games. But it was a it was a tough trip. And I think what we saw on Saturday afternoon was the combination of the Lightning not having the same level of jump that they showed earlier in the trip. Facing a team that, I don't care what the numbers say, when Daryl Sutter is your head coach, you know that that team is going to be structured and that team is going to play the right way and that team is going to have its sticks and lanes and that team is going to make it hard on you to find space. And so I think it was a combination of those two things that made that game feel like the Lightning were were kind of walking in quicksand a little bit. I mean, they generated some scoring chances. They did. They kind of dried up in the third period a little bit, even though Sorelli scored a sixth attacker goal. But the Flames had the majority of the puck possession, and the Lightning had a lot of one-and-dones. And I think that was a combination of one team really getting dialed in to how it needs to play with its structure, and the other team just lacking some oomph at the end of a long road trip. And I don't think it was any more evident than when the Lightning were on the power play. Flames have a very good penalty kill. It's a top 10 penalty kill. I think they came in sixth in the NHL. Might have been even a little bit higher than sixth. Actually, I have the notes here. Did I write it down? I mean, they look like, yeah, they were sixth coming in. Yeah, I think you're right. They improved that. Yeah, they improved that. They went six for six on the penalty kill. Some big kills, like that four-minute kill in the third period could have gotten the Lightning back in the game when they had the four-minute power play when Coleman took the high stick. But you could see that the Flames were, were very aggressive on the penalty kill, and the Lightning just physically and mentally, I'm not sure they were really where they needed to be against that sort of an opponent. So when you look at it that way, I mean, the Lightning would have liked to have gotten points out of those last two games for sure. And Coop was right. They were tied going into the third period in Edmonton, and they had a lead in the Calgary game. 
but they came away empty-handed. That's disappointing. But I think we look at the five-game trip, we have to acknowledge that these last two games were very difficult games to play. I wouldn't go so far as to call the Calgary game a scheduled loss, but it was going to take a lot for the Lightning to to win that game. A lot needed to go right, and very little went right for them, other than a puck off Nemestikov's skate, which was a bounce they got. But, you know, they got into penalty trouble early. They were playing catch-up early. They had some defensive mistakes. They had bounces go against them as well. So I think we would have been looking at a different sort of game had the Lightning started the trip in Calgary. Now, they might not have won it, but I think that they would have been a lot more dialed in and and on their toes than what we saw. But now the trip is over, and the Lightning are back in the East Coast, and they need to get ready for an opponent that has given them problems. We know more so in Minnesota than in Tampa. But now that the trip is over, no more you know schedule problems. Like, I understand this is the first home game back after a long road trip, but the Lightning just lost the last two. So this game should have their attention, with or without Pat Maroon in the lineup. You know, it was – when you look at that game against Calgary, and I think we kind of talked about this before it was a situation i think edmonton probably in that same boat i mean these were teams who i don't want to say were desperate although if you went that route i don't know if i would necessarily disagree with it but they were i would say calgary had some pressure based on the fact colorado was knocking on the door and they just lost to colorado they need some points yeah they need there's some urgency there's some urgency there and you know you you factor that all in but you know what's interesting in this game the Lightning still had a 2-1 lead, you know, midway through the second period on the road. And I'm not telling you they played great hockey up to that point, but, you know, uh, all things considered, you know, mm-hmm. especially Vlad Nemestikov getting a, a cheapie, you'd, you'd look at there and say, okay, you know, here we go. Here we go. But they, you know, were, a, fully... uh, they were a Dan Vladar save away from being up 3-1. Yeah, because Nemetsnikov had another scoring chance. There was only a minute ten between the Nemetsnikov goal for two one Lightning and the Toffoli goal for two two. There was a TV timeout in there, so it felt a little longer than a minute ten. But leading into the TV timeout, Nemetsnikov had another scoring chance that might have even been better than the one that went in the net. Yeah, I think and Vladar right. made the save on him. I think that was a big right. moment. You know, and kudos to. You know, Vlad getting a goal there, and and perhaps maybe he's starting to to turn a corner. We'll see. But you know, getting back to time and place in this game, so Meskov gives them a two-one lead, and then to Foley basically the next shift, right? I mean, ties it at two, and I, I think we saw that a little bit in the third period again, where Sorelli cuts the lead four-three at fifteen fifty-eight. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, look, for obvious reasons late with the Lightning trying to pressure, Huberto gets one, and uh, it is what it is. But what I'm saying is the Lightning pushed, especially with Nemestikov, and then with Toffoli getting that goal, and then Anderson, you know, kind of a seeing-eye shot. Those are a little bit of a backbreaker, and I think when you're playing on the road, when you're struggling on the road uh, a little bit, collectively – those are the type of, of moments you'd like to to have short up if you can 
knowing that you're playing a team, as we just alluded to, in Calgary, who's a, a bit desperate from that standpoint. But, you know, 2-1 midway through the second, I, I think all mm-hmm. things considered, the Lightning would probably have, have taken that. Oh, sure. And, and I think you're right. Like, when the gas tank is running toward E, physically and mentally, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't say that this is just a fact of the regular season. All teams go through it. Lightning are going to be seeing an L.A. Kings team that will have been on the road for a while. Now, the Kings are probably more used to it because they have long trips. I don't know if they're going to be on their bye as well. It seems like a lot of teams are getting time off leading into the All-Star break, but it's not like the league is going completely silent. So some teams are going to be playing after the Lightning. I haven't looked at the Kings' schedule. I'm just using that as an example. Mm -hmm, I saw the mm -hmm. Kings were in Nashville. So the Kings were just in Nashville. I don't think the Kings are going to go going back to Los Angeles before they play the Lightning. Right. I'm just spitballing here. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, I mean, the shoe is going to be on the other foot a little bit there. All teams have to go through it. That's why surviving the regular season is really that word, surviving. Like, to get in the playoffs, you have to navigate your way through the tough stretches in your schedule. And the Lightning weren't able to do it from the standpoint that the last two games, which may have been the toughest games they lost – but they still had a successful trip because they took care of business at the beginning of the trip, okay? So when when the tank is running a little bit on E, what do you need to have happen for you to get points? Well, playing with the lead would help. Sure. Having the lead and then losing the lead and looking up at a deficit heading into the third period is not ideal. Like, that is tougher than if that would have happened in the first game of the trip, I think. And the Lightning were digging. Like, they were trying. I don't think effort was an issue. I just think they were a little bit off. And the other team had something to do with that. I mean, I give Calgary high marks for how well the Flames defended, which they did throughout the game. The Lightning had their fingerprints, though, on the 2-2 goal and the 3-2 goal. And that's the part that... Was frustrating, It's disappointing, Yeah. yeah. So... Coop called out his top guys. I mean, he basically I was going to get our, to that. <laughs> yeah, so he said our 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 best players and one of our best players, Point and Kucherov both took minuses. Now, like when the Lightning are giving up one or two empty netters a game, you know who's out there when the empty netter is scored, right? Like Point, Kucherov, Hedman, those three guys are all minus three, and Hagel was minus two. So Hagel probably was not out there for one of the empty netters, but. They weren't all empty netters. And the Toffoli goal starts. Like, if you can go back and look at that whole play, rewind it like 20 seconds, maybe more. Lightning had the puck in the offensive zone. And they're cycling. And this was coming on the heels of the Nemenstikov scoring chance, too. So they get the Ozone face off, and, you know, they have the puck. They're working it around. They're making the Flames defend. And Kucherov gets the puck just at the blue line. I think the left D, which probably was Hedman, had stepped up. Yeah, it was Hedman because he was he was the one the puck went off of at the other end of the ice. So Kucherov covers that left point for Hedman, holds the puck in, and, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's easy to say from up in the press box, but, like, that puck needed to get rimmed low behind the net. Instead, Kucherov just slid it toward the net. And we know how structured the Flames are. 
So I think it was Anderson. I should see who was on the ice here. It was the righty D. It was Anderson, who was very, very good in that game, by the way. Anderson intercepts it. Boom. Other direction. And the Lightning now are scrambling to get back defensively. So, look, you lose pucks in the offensive zone frequently. Like, you're not going to have the puck in the offensive zone the whole game. But that particular play didn't need to happen. And it kind of got the Lightning back in their heels. and, And they were scrambling to get set up. And what the Flames did pretty well throughout the game, like they're a high-shot volume team. They don't maybe get as many scoring chances per shots as some other teams. This is something we talked about with Kevin Woodley. He's like, Carolina's a high-shot volume team. So is Calgary. Calgary is among the, the league leaders in shots taken per game. You can see what they do is they throw a lot of pucks to the net. And sometimes it goes in. Sometimes it doesn't. More often it doesn't. But if they can set up a scramble play around the net, they're happy with that. Like, let's get it to an area where we can cause some chaos. That's exactly what happened on the Toffoli goal. Dubé takes the shot. He's kind of drifting to the high slot. He takes the shot, and Lindholm tips it. They gave Lindholm the the shot on net there because Vasilevsky makes the save. But now you got to scramble in front. And Toffoli reaches for the puck. And at the time, I thought Vasilevsky made an incredible save on him. He didn't. It slid behind the net. But now Vasilevsky is is committed, and he's at one side of the crease, and Toffoli smartly takes it behind the net. Right. A wraparound on your backhand, whether you're a righty or a lefty, is tough to do because you got to almost turn the stick around. I mean, you can imagine on your backhand, tucking the puck around a post is harder to do than if you're on your forehand, right? Just the motion is more difficult. Defoley tried it. He was hurrying because Vasilevsky's so quick. He can get back over. He didn't have time to, like, swing his stick around the post completely, but he tried. He didn't get it. Like, the puck slid forward, and if it doesn't hit Hedman, it doesn't go in, but it did hit Hedman, and that was the result of the chaos that was created from the shot. But I go back to what happened for the Lightning in the offensive zone. Why is that puck getting turned over? It didn't need to get turned over. And they kind of opened the door for the Flames to make a play. And then on the 3-2 goal, the goal scored by Anderson, that again hit Hedman and went in, how does that play start? In the offensive zone for the Lightning. And it was Hedman who had, as it turned out, not a good pinch. And the Lightning surrendered a three-on-one. And Andre Vasilevsky makes three saves. Two on Manjapani and one on Coleman, before Hedman gets the puck in his stick and he like hot potatoes it around the boards and and no lightning player could get it. So what do we look at there? Why are you giving up a three on one in a two two game? I, I think if the lightning were were mentally where they needed to be, in other words, not at the end of a long road trip, I'm not sure those plays happen, Greg. Maybe I'm giving them more credit, but I mean we've seen them play for for most of the year not doing those sorts of things. The Lightning are not a team that often gives up three-on-ones coming out of the offensive zone. But that created chaos. And now you're scrambling to try and get it out. Even still, you had the puck, though. After Vassy makes three saves in a row, you have the puck. And you don't execute to get it out. And the Flames hold it in, they get a bounce. Anderson shot, deflects off Hedman and in. But why did the goal get scored? Yeah, it deflected off Hedman and went in. But let's rewind a little bit. Why was the goal scored? You have the puck in the offensive zone. You gave up a three-on-one. 
That's the, the part where the Lightning yeah. were contributing to a 2-1 lead becoming a 3-2 deficit. And the last thing I'll say, Greg, is like you talked about, all right, Huberto gets the empty netter. I mentioned this on the air. When the Lightning scored the sixth attacker goal with Sorelli, what happened? Face-off win, puck to Hedman, puck to the net. That was a chaos play. It hit Sorelli, dropped right down next to him, and he swatted it in. Well, let's get to that. When they got the, yeah. But when they got the six-on-five later, when they pulled Vasilevsky yeah. the second time, they kept passing it around. They were looking for the, like that perfect play. And again, I think that is part of what we were talking about here, that like they just scored a goal just getting a puck to the net. They didn't do that the second time. What happens? Flames are so good with their sticks, created a little bit of a 50-50, and they got it out. And Huberto scores the empty netter. That's Sorry, a good go point. Ahead. No, it's it's we got to take a break, but we're going to get to that a, a little bit more. Plus, your questions at Bolts Radio. He is Dave Mishkin. I am Greg Linelli. Steve Ursnick is our producer. Back after this on Lightning Radio. Don't miss a minute of Lightning hockey this season. Ah! Download the new Tampa Bay Lightning mobile app presented by Spectrum One to access breaking news, stats, exclusive contests, prizes, and more. Visit TampaBayLightning.com/mobile app. Be the Thunder. You're listening to Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli. Get involved in the conversation at Bolts Radio. We've got some questions starting to trickle in, and we can break it all down for you. He is Dave Mishkin. I am Greg Linelli. Steve Ersnick is producing. And let's get into a, a question here. By the way, again, Pat Maroon, not practicing yeah. with it didn't look good when he went immediately off holding his arm what happened do you think because it it didn't look like he got sandwiched in between yeah. players and then I fell mean, to the knows? ice but yeah yeah who knows exactly how the injury occurred he was trying to take the puck to the net and it looked like he got squeezed on one side and then hit from behind not dangerous or dirty but i mean he took a hit almost from from behind but like his arm the arm that was injured, I think, got jostled forward as his body was tied up with, with a different player. So I don't know if we'll have an update after practice today for more clarification. But if he's not practicing today, I would be very surprised if he is playing tomorrow. And based on how he went off, I mean, you never know. But I, I, would, I would not be surprised if, if he is out. At least for tomorrow, if not longer, and then yeah. of course the Lightning have three games, and then they get a full week off. So, without without any knowledge of exactly what is going on, reading the tea leaves, look for look for a recall or eleven and seven for the Lightning yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, I think that would that would be interesting. By the way, the Athletic they went down the list of teams who were what they're going to do with the trade deadline. Joe Smith did Tampa Bay's probably makes sense because I don't. Yeah. There's nobody for the athletic really covering. No, they have not replaced Joe. Which is interesting. Covering covering the lightning. Yeah, that might be a topic down the road. We kind of speculated on that, mm -hmm. but I, I don't know why. Anyways, Joe's kind of, because of his level of knowledge, still there and fresh for the lightning. He can offer some analysis. Basically, it's it's hit on what we discussed. You know, depth, and then they added a, a depth defenseman. I think... Do you was think Joe it, was listening to Power Lunch? Is that uh, where he got you his You know, the info? Athletic probably should just reach out to us at this yeah. point. <laughs> I mean, really. But that rumor, was that with Elliot Friedman, the Luke Shen yeah. potential? I mean, I think that's kind of where the, the depth defenseman thing flies. 
and Joe had, you know, depth at the forward position with Pat Maroon being out. I, I don't, you know, it's interesting. That may make a, a move for, for Julian Breezewell. I, I still think he was probably going to do something anyways, but we'll see how it plays out. The loss of Maroon, potentially, what does it mean for the Lightning? I, I don't know. You know, in the short run, does it does it affect the Lightning? Certainly, I think the last couple of games, what Maroon was able to do, mm-hmm. trying to get his team going, I think there was there was actually some value there for sure. And I like I said before, I think I think Maroon has been playing better hockey recently. But I, I don't know if this is a long term thing, what would the impact be? Because we know Maroon's voice in that locker room is I yes. think a pretty on sound bench. one. Yeah. So I think I think, you know, it sounds a, a lot of people don't like to hear the intangible effect of an athlete because most of the time you want to talk about production and that makes a lot of sense. You still, this is a production-based league, and you still want to put up points and, and be productive. But I, I do think, in Maroon's case, with the Lightning, the, those moments in the locker room or on the bench where he can offer support, I think it does go a long way. And it will it will be interesting to mm-hmm. see what type of effect that will have on the Lightning moving forward. And, you know, we'll probably get the, the you first know, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up, Greg, because yeah. I was kind of thinking, I don't really remember any stretch that Maroon has had to miss time since he joined the Lightning, not earlier in his career. But, and actually, I'm looking at his whole career. He's been very durable playing in the NHL. Now, he's been, he's been with a bunch of different teams, and there was one year that he was traded. So, you know, his games played, you have to add them together. But in his three years with the Lightning, the 2019-2020 season, I think the Lightning played, what, 70 games before the season paused? And he played 64, so only missed six. The next year, the 56-game season, he played 55, so only missed one. And last year, he played 81. Yeah. So going back, at least the last two years, he's only missed two games, and he played every playoff game both years. And then the year that... The, the season was paused. I'm pretty sure that was a 70-0 game season the, the te- for the Lightning. Teams played different different amounts because we halted on, what, March 12th, and, and that was it. So some teams played a little bit more. Some teams played a little bit less. I'm going to look that up and see if I can find it. 70. Yanni Gord actually looks like, no, Sergachev and Shattenkirk and Gord were the three guys to play every game that year. So that speaks to how durable Maroon has been for the Lightning and how regular his presence has been on the bench in games. It's been important. It has. And I don't want to minimize that. And if Rudy Balsers ends up being the guy to come in initially to potentially replace him, it's probably going to come in the the area of on-the-ice impact because I think that's probably where you can make the most impact when you're the newest member of a team and you're looking to make an impression. But we'll see how that plays out. You know, Pat Maroon can walk around with three Stanley Cups, and I mm-hmm. think there's a little bit of a a respect factor that he gets that maybe somebody else doesn't. But it leads us to the second question from Al. He says, yeah. I'm concerned that six or seven forwards carrying the load are being overplayed and getting fatigued by late in the game. Without a competent fourth line to eat minutes, the team is put in a precarious position. 15 giveaways by the star players, costly. 
So I have to say, Al, if you've listened to the show at all, you know how little stock I put in the giveaway stat. But I just mentioned the Lightning had some turnover. So I'm not yeah. I'm not saying giveaways are not important. They are. But I look at specific plays rather than some, and I will use the word, arbitrary number that an off-ice official is counting and, and varies greatly from one off-ice official to the next. I'm not going to argue the point, though, that the Lightning had too many giveaways basically against Calgary or if we we're going to say takeaways because I think Calgary the the Flames players were positioned very well and used their sticks to disrupt a lot of plays having said that I think early in the year the Lightning were playing and I'm going to use these three guys that is as a specific example to, to illustrate my point Kucherov point and Stamkos they were playing more than they had been playing previously all three were over 20 minutes a game and Kucherov I think was close to 22 minutes a game once we got out of October their numbers started coming down to the point that I'm going to give you the exact numbers right now I know I was talking more about late in the game yeah but I still think that this is informative so let me give you the official numbers here Stamkos by the way played over 23 minutes now some of that was a lot of power play time yeah, so when the Lightning yeah. have six power plays, those yeah. guys, they're going to get minutes. outs. Correct. All right. So remember, Kucherov was up around 22 at the start of the year. I'm talking about like after the first month. And Point and Stamkos were well over like 20 to 21. As we speak right now, Kucherov's average ice time is 20 minutes and 27 seconds. That has come way down. If you're losing basically like a minute and a half of ice time on average – that tells you how much less he is playing, which is good. This is a good thing, right? Because Al is right. You don't want to overtax them throughout the year. Point is at 19.53, and Stamkos is at 1911. So that tells you, without looking into like a specific game here or a specific game there, their minutes have come down. And I think that is to John Cooper's liking. He would prefer to roll the lines regularly. Now, if you're down in a game you may load up on those guys more and ask them to do more to try and catch up because your best chance of scoring, not your only chance of scoring, but your best chance of scoring is with those guys on the ice. I think we would all agree with that. Have they played more in these last couple of games? And did that have an effect? Possibly. I think, I'm not sure that that is like a systemic thing though. I think the fatigue, to the extent that there was fatigue, and I, I think there was, because I just spent the early part of the show, Al, mentioning I think there was some travel-related fatigue from the grinding nature of this trip, compounded by the fact that the Lightning have had to play from behind in the third period in each of the last two games. I'm not discounting that. That very well may be true. But I don't know if this is like a regular occurrence where we're saying Coop is having to play the top guys too much. The numbers don't bear that out. I just told you how much less they are playing to get their average down. Because if you're at 22 minutes, and I'm rounding up for Cooch. I'm not sure he was ever actually at 22, but he was close. If you're at 22 minutes after one month, and now you're basically at 20 and a half, to get down, that means you're playing less than 20 and a half, right? Like you're regularly playing probably... 19 in a lot of these games to get that average down so i'm gonna i'm gonna respectfully disagree that 
these guys are being played, quote-unquote, too much. Now, if we want to say that too much of the scoring is still coming from the top guys, and that is a lot of pressure for them to, to carry, that's a different discussion. And that's something that Julian is going to have to look at and make a determination on as he surveys possible players to acquire at the deadline. I think it's gotten a little better. I mean, we've discussed this, Greg, on the show. I think the bottom six, they've done a little more than they had at the start of the year. But is it enough? It's a good question. You know, it's funny. It hasn't hurt them in the standings to this point. It hasn't. I'm curious what your thought is on the John Cooper calling out his top guys. If you want to call it that, I mean, I guess you could. It was a little six unusual power plays to see over him. six. And I'm 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 yeah. thinking maybe that's where that is. Um, so I I don't know. I part of me honestly, partner, I looked at it the other way. I, you've heard me say this. I want to be very consistent that I actually think. This year, unless the depth of the team, and we got to go to break after this point, I want to get your thoughts on the other side. Yeah. Unless the team starts to find a, a, a little more quality depth in terms of scoring, in terms of whatever you want to use, when we start talking about production, I think this is a top heavy team. It's different than the last three years. It doesn't mean they can't win that way. It's They may have to win differently if it's not addressed. I'm wondering if John Cooper came out and said that when he called out his top guys as a way to kick it in the butt for the depth players, too. Mm -hmm. Because, listen, I mean, the Lightning have gotten this far in part, in large part, because of what their high-end players have done. And let's throw Nick Paul and Brandon Hagel in that, that mix because they're part of this. Sorelli coming back has made an impact. Stamkos has continued to be a point producer. So has Kucherov and Point. Have they been great every night, every single game? No, it, it, it doesn't happen that way. And I actually think there's another level for a guy like Victor Hedman to get to that we haven't seen yet. So I think there's, there's room for optimism. It feels like this year, this is a team that's a bit more top-heavy. And I, I'm going to stay with that until I see otherwise. But I'm wondering if what he said after the Calgary game was more of a way to wake up the bottom six than it was to come down a little bit on his top players. And I could be, I could be looking that completely wrong. But that's how I would view it. At Bolts Radio. Partner, I want your thoughts on the other side of the break. Yep. Also an update, too, on Pat Maroon. We'll get to those when we return at Volts Radio, he's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Lanelli. Steve Ersnick's producing on Lightning Radio. Cast your vote now for which Bolts grade should be inducted into the Lightning Hall of Fame with the fan vote presented by Advent Health. Download the new Lightning mobile app in your app store to cast your ballot. Voting ends Sunday, January 29th at 5 p.m. You're listening to Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Lanelli. Glad you're with us. Breaking it all down for you. Tomorrow's going to be fun, isn't it, partner? Mm-hmm. That'll be a lot of fun with uh, Steven Stamkos. And you've called every goal, right? Yeah. Ed and Cena talked to I me saw that. on the off day in Calgary. And here's a little inside scoop for you. I didn't get this in the article. 
So Ed reached out. It was an off day on Friday. But he reached out and he said, yeah, I was talking to Paul Kennedy. Paul should be my agent because he's he's on top of all this stuff. He said, I was talking to Paul Kennedy and he said, you have called every one of Stamkos' goals. I said, I guess that's true because I've called every game since Stamkos has been with the Lightning. The only games I've missed in my time with the Lightning, knock on wood, is when my son Eli was born. And it was a C-section. So, I mean, you know what that's like, Greg. So there was yep. hospital stay. So I, I missed three games, as it turned out. Team was going on a long road trip. So I missed the first two games of the trip. And then basically a week later, I, I flew and met the team on the road. But other than that, I've, I've called every game, regular season and playoffs. So I've seen and called every one of Stamkos' goals. So Ed wanted me to rank what I thought were the top five goals. So I was giving it some thought and I kind of texted and we were going to talk later and I came up with five and I was going to go for a run because it was cold, chilly, but it was sunny in Calgary. So, you know, I head downstairs to the lobby. Who should I see in the lobby? Steven Stamkos. <laughs> so I walked up to him and said, Hey, Ed and Cena asked me to pick the five goals that are at the top of my list. What do you think of these five? And so I read them and he's like, Hmm. What about the one in the bubble? <laughs> yeah, I forgot the Dallas one in the bubble. I said, "Well, in fairness, I wasn't actually in the building for that." He laughed. So I, I would have remembered that one eventually. I had forgotten that one though, which was at the top of the list. Obviously, the the one game he played in the bubble was was my number one. But I came up with the other four originally, and then I removed one. But he, he approved, so it was Stamkos approved. He gave it the stamp of approval, uh, which I'm glad I ran into him, not only that he reminded me about the goal he scored in the bubble, but that he he liked my picks, essentially. So I had the 60th goal. I had a goal he scored in Anaheim his second year that was probably his most, athletically speaking, spectacular goal. Where he's describe it for those and, who, who weren't there. Do yeah, you so... So he, he got a centering feed right at the top of the crease, took a shot on his forehand, and, and then was basically knocked to the ice. Goalie made the save, and the puck is fluttering in the air. He's falling to his right. He's a righty. So he reaches back on his backhand. He's falling to the ice. He, he bats the puck out of the air and into the net. Yeah. Incredible goal. I had the goal that he scored against Toronto late in the regular season last year that gave him the franchise record for points. And one reason I picked it, not only was it a record-setting goal, but it was also so similar to so many of the goals and points, therefore, that he has gotten because it was on the power play from his spot. And that was really the only one of the five that, that was like that. And then I had his goal against the Rangers last year in the conference final that was the series clincher. Huge goal. Yeah. Right after Vetrano had tied the game in the power play, next shift, was it like 21 seconds later? Mm-hmm. And then the Dallas goal, the goal against Dallas. So those are my five. The you Dallas probably could have picked others that, that you know, Did you have this first goal in the NHL? Where did that rank, you think? His first goal? Yeah, just because, you know, it that's was a, always it was, a memorable one. It was not an one. easy goal to call for play-by-play yeah. play because it was a tip. Yeah. But based on his reaction, you could see that that he touched it. I mean, that's certainly memorable for him. What I had was, so I had two milestone goals, his 60th goal and the franchise record. I had, like, just an incredible athletic goal, and then I had two playoff goals. 
you know, I think we've talked about this, Greg. Isn't it interesting that all these milestones that are that are referenced and kept in the record books, they're basically all regular season numbers. It's almost like the playoffs don't count when they really should count more. The most important plays in a player's career will happen in the playoffs. And therefore, I mean, he's at what now? 504? Yeah. That's not including the 40-some-odd goals he scored in the playoffs, which those may those almost count like a goal, and a, a goal and a half in a way, right? But those don't count in his quote-unquote total. When we talk about Steven Stamkos has scored 500 goals, he's actually scored more than that, but we're not including the playoff goals, which is interesting that, that we gauge it that way. And if we included playoff goals for every player, then, you know, Gretzky would have a lot more than – 894 or whatever he has and Ovechkin would have more too although Ovechkin has not scored as much in the playoffs because generally his teams have not gone deep except for the one year so you think those guys when they I I think all athletes remember all the important moments but could you would you be surprised if Stamkos didn't recall all of his goals I would be surprised you would be surprised I think he has a photographic memory almost when it comes to goals that he scored it's incredible. Just hearing yeah. him talk about them. Yeah. So. Well, they're so in tune with everything. I mean, yeah. that, that's the thing that's I mean, incredible it happens with athletes. To him. Yeah. So, sure. you know, when something happens to you, like you are doing something, obviously not every player can have exact recall like him, but he definitely yeah. does. Fans want to react to that. Memorable goals from Steven Stamkos. Please do at Bolts Radio. We have the update from Coop, too. Yeah, let's let's get into that. said that um, the Lightning are going to know more on the extent of Pat Maroon's injury this afternoon and called Nick Perbix a maybe for tomorrow. All right, you want my interpretation for both of those? Please do. Please do. Uh, They are getting additional tests on Maroon. Okay. So we're probably looking at one of two outcomes. Less long or long yeah that would be my guess i hope i'm wrong about that but it was not an immediate diagnosis which doesn't mean that he's going to be out like the rest of the regular season or anything like that it just means that they need additional testing and they're going to do it here at home i'm wondering do do you think does that give us an indication that it maybe was pulled ligaments rather than a break you know, because well, a break, I mean, would you be able to take, yeah, you know, know? I mean, if it's a shoulder, like a separated shoulder. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like you need he to was run holding his tests. arm. So, I mean, I'm guessing yeah. it's his arm, which could be his shoulder. Maybe it was yeah. something in his, his side, though. Who knows? And I'm not saying that it's, it's necessarily the worst news possible. I'm just saying that if he's having additional testing, it's probably not like they know it's day-to-day right. at this point. Perfect's being a maybe – that's not he's in, which Coop sometimes says, yeah, it's looking good for him tomorrow. The fact that he was skating with Sergachev, though, mm-hmm. that's the first time we've seen him in that position. Now, admittedly, the Lightning didn't have a lot of practice time once we kind of got into the grind of, of the end of the trip. But I would say the odds are, are greater that we're going to see Perbix tomorrow than not. Could be proven wrong. Yeah. But... I would feel better about the maybe than literally like a coin toss. I think that's fair. 
Yeah, I, I think that's I think fair. he'd like to play against Minnesota too. That's probably right. Know, that's his, a big deal for him. His hometown team, but he's from Minnesota. Yeah, probably is his hometown team. I wanted to get your thoughts before we went to break. We kind of maybe end on this topic. We'll get into Minnesota tomorrow. Actually, we probably can have Joe Smith on. Tomorrow. Yeah, we should reach out. <laughs> for I was going to say, why not? He'd be glad Ask to him how Minnesota's doing. Right. I'll be at the building tomorrow, so maybe Joe. I don't yeah, know if Joe. Can... Joe may need to to do something with Minnesota though, so we'll have to check his availability. He can't just <laughs> pop over because our show runs right when Listen. the Wild are skating. Basically, he knows who we are. He's coming over. He knows. He knows where where things started for him. He Come has on. to cover. He has to cover the Lightning. Admittedly, very intermittently, but he did a thing on yeah. Stamkos' 500th goal. He's yeah. doing a thing on the deadline. He well, I'm sure for him. Lunch. Yeah, I'm sure. For, look, the athletic. I don't know how they do their their structure payment wise, but they're getting their bang for their buck if Joe can provide at least for this year some analysis on the lightning. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things that it's pretty obvious to be honest. But I wanted to get your thoughts on on what I had said before we went to break in the previous segment about John Cooper calling out his star players, because on one hand, John Cooper really doesn't do that. And so it was like one of two things. One, he really did feel, th- feel that way. And, you know, maybe he had those discussions with those players before he was going to do something like that and, you know, gave them a heads up and no harm, no foul. Or it was how I looked at it, maybe a kick in the butt to some of the guys in the bottom six because they're going to need better play from them to help support the Lightning's higher-end players if they want to advance to where... Uh, they want to advance. Did you have a, were you surprised by it? And, and what do you think the meaning was? Or do you think it was just a simple, you know, they weren't good and I called him out? <laughs> yeah, I think he was just <laughs> stating his opinion after the game, which he he rarely have ever says anything without considering <laughs> what he is saying. But I think he was looking at 0 for 6 on the power play. And those guys had an opportunity to impact the game and weren't able to do so. Looking at the power play time. Stamkos had seven minutes, 52 seconds of power play time. Kucherov, 8-11 power play time. Hedman, 7-17 power play time. .652 power play time. Hagel, 6-45 power play time. That's a lot of time on the power play. Yeah. And the Lightning didn't get anything done. So, I mean, it might be partially that. And also... Stamkos was not on this line, but Point and Kucherov were. You know, they were out there when the 2-2 goal was scored and the 3-2 right. goal was scored. So maybe he's looking at, you know, not only did they not provide what we needed in terms of the power play, they did score six on five with those guys out there, but they were also out on the ice for a couple of pretty damaging goals against. So maybe that's that's where that came from. I doubt he's going to elaborate, though. No, I think it was make those comments and move on. And that's probably how it was. I was just was kind of curious how how some of that plays out. But interesting. Mm-hmm. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in that conversation, you can. Uh, let's see here. Do we have any more questions? We may have one or two before we... Well, I'll tell you. Son I'll tell off. you one thing, Greg, which I thought yeah, was pretty interesting. So, in the meal room before the game, Greg Millen sat down next to me. So he's a longtime goalie, former goalie in the NHL, but he's a longtime analyst in Canada, 
working on the the television broadcast on the network and he was doing the game for calgary he's from ontario but he comes out and does a lot of calgary games so we were just chatting and he's like huh vasilevsky's not having a great year huh and again this is coming from somebody who's not watching vasilevsky that much but he is a former goalie and i think he's probably looking at vasi's numbers and and seeing that the numbers are not where maybe they have been in the regular season and i answered that statement or question much the way we've talked about it on the show which is to say that i think he's been a little bit of a victim of some porous play in front of him he's also had his numbers affected by some late goals and games that the lightning are on their way to winning that didn't really affect the final result but did inflate his numbers a little bit or make them a little bit worse and again you know you look at this game against calgary he lost four goals on 39 shots because the last two shots were empty netters. You know, which of these goals are you going to put on him? The Dubé goal? That was a pretty good shot. Yeah. Upper corner, far post, goalie goes down. Maybe that's one. Kadri does a tip on the power play, and the other two deflect in and off headman. And maybe it's just been one of those years for Vassy where, where we've seen a lot of those plays. But I will maintain, this is what I said to, to Greg Millen, that I think Vasilevsky's played well this year. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that he has really had a dip in his performance, even though his numbers, beyond the, the wins and losses especially, the numbers are not quite where they have been, at least to this point in the regular season. But no, that's and, the perception. And then we had yeah. that, that, I guess it was a Calgary fan, like threw the Vasilevsky jersey on the ice did you see that after the Dubay goal? No, I didn't. I didn't. Like pretending to be so disgusted with Vasilevsky that he was throwing his jersey on the ice. But I think that it was it was found to be just a Calgary fan throwing some shade there and having some fun. I think there'd be a lot of people if if a Lightning fan actually took off a Vasilevsky jersey and threw it on the ice in disgust, there would be a long, long line of Lightning fans. Who'd want to have a word? To grab that jersey, right? Who'd want to have a word? For their own. Yeah. yeah. Or somebody say, come on, man, what are you doing? Yeah. That is being, as as you often say, a prisoner of the moment. If Too much of a prisoner of the moment. Come happened. on. Gather your emotions, sir. Let's go. Well, we'll see if Vassy has a good game tomorrow, assuming he's starting, and we'll break it all down for everybody. And hopefully we'll talk to Joe Smith from The yeah. Athletic as well. Partner, great job as always. I will uh, talk to you tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow. Good stuff. Game night tomorrow. Thanks to Steve Versnick. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Radio.